I remember in preparation for this trip, we go to REI to get gear. And I pointed out to you that you probably need a head net because we're going to Alaska. The skeeters are going to be thick. And what would you say? Well, here's the thing, Matt. You were wearing a head net in the store. You were walking around with it on. I was demonstrating. And I, I, I was, don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you looked ridiculous. <laughs> and so I said I wouldn't be caught dead in one of those things. Yeah, well, sometimes I do that stuff because <laughs> – it gets a reaction out of you. Because you want to embarrass me that I'm yeah, with you. Right. It's, so there's that. Right. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today we're talking about Denali National Park, one of the eight national parks in Alaska. Denali might be one of the easiest parks in Alaska to drive to, but once you get there, you'll have to park your car if you really want to see the park and its incredible wildlife. We'll explain everything you'd ever want to know about the transportation system at Denali and share our experiences about what it's like to travel into the wilderness areas of this remarkable park. We'll also talk about some of the creatures you'll encounter in the park, from bugs to bears, as well as some of the activities available in the off-season. We cover a lot of information on this episode, so settle in. You wouldn't want to miss the bus. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that pun. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Before we get started talking about Denali, I thought maybe we should share some exciting news in the National Park Service world. What's the exciting news, Karen? (laughs) Is there another national park? No, unfortunately not. There's not a new national park, but there is a new app that we found that is put out by the National Park Service, and it is called... National Park Service app. It's a very, very creative name. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it just came out a week or two ago, and we downloaded it and have, have been looking at it. So it is free, which is great. And I know people have been hoping for this for a long time. The news of the app kind of slipped out. They didn't make a big announcement, and then somebody posted about it, and they wanted it to be a slow release. And I think the reason is, from what I've read, is that... All of the various park entities, the park sites, are going to be uploading their own information onto this app. And so some bigger parks obviously are better equipped with more staff to do that. And some of the smaller parks might not have as much time and as many resources to do that. So I think they wanted to get the app fully up and running before people started downloading it. It's a great idea. I understand why they would do it that way. They're Mm -hmm. they're creating the structure and the functionality and then letting each park unit populate the content. But I don't know. The rangers, the people at the park units, they have a lot of other things to do. Well, that's true. And I'm just not sure that 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 method's going to work. I mean, my opinion is you really need to have visitors populate the content and then have somebody at the park service just administer. So review it and be the admin. Because if you want content populated, you ask the public to do it. I mean, just like YouTube or TripAdvisor or these things. So, sure. I mean, that's th- that mm-hmm. would be the way to get the content out there since they didn't ask my opinion. <laughs> they did it their own way. It's shocking that they didn't call you. I know. I know. And, and Have you checked your voicemail? I've been sitting next to my phone for the last 10 years waiting for the National Park Service to call and ask my opinion. What an oversight on their part. <laughs> but uh, a couple things that I liked right off the bat. Now, we haven't traveled since we've downloaded it, so we haven't you know used it on the road. But a few things that I thought were great right off the bat is one thing, it has a location finder. So no matter where you are in the country, let's say you're going on a long road trip and you're in some random state state on the way, you can search for parks near me and any of the National Park Service sites that are close to you will pop up. So you can stop. That's a good function. It's a really great function. Also, 
you can search for national park units by state. So if you know you're going to Arizona, you click search for all the parks in Arizona and a list will come up of everything. So that's also handy when you're trip planning. But my favorite thing. Yeah, your favorite thing? (laughs) This app includes all of the National Park Service sites, all 420, whatever there are. So you can make your own list of the parks that you visited, or I should say we, We because we've done it together. (laughs) Have you already made your list? Yes. Well, I've started. So you did. (laughs) Well, you can download the app on your phone. So I can look over your shoulder while you're doing this? How it works is very simple. A list of every park unit comes up, and then you highlight the ones you've been to. It's in alphabetical order. So we started with Acadia. So you go down and you start highlighting them. Then it puts it in your own list of parks you've been to, and it takes it off of the original list. So now I have a list of the parks we've been to. And by the way, it puts it in this folder that has a beautiful photo of the park. It's like a postcard. Acadia has not just, it doesn't just say Acadia, it has a picture of Acadia, which is beautiful. Then the last thing I'm going to say about it is then you can go back to the original list and whatever parks you haven't been to are still there. So you have an automatic checklist. And it also keeps a counter of, yes, you've been to 150 parks and you still have this many parks to go. So I thought that was great. So you're geeking out over it. (laughs) Yes. But I think there was something you found that wasn't quite updated. Well, I did look at this briefly before we started and they tell you where the park stamps are. The passport stamps? I'm sorry. Yeah, the passport stamps, which might not be the single most important thing you want to know about each park unit, although it's very important, Mm -hmm. right? And I just went to like Yellowstone, and they only listed two of the passport stamps. And we know that there's more. We know that there's, you know, 10 to 15 in that park. So Mm -hmm. I think that's an example of maybe they're letting the park unit populate that stuff. I, I would say in these early days... You don't want to just rely on the information on that app as being complete. Right. The stuff that's out there is good, but it might not be 100% complete. Like, for instance, they don't list the Matt and Karen Smith Visitor Center on the the, (laughs) – And our passport stamp location. And our passport stamp location. (laughs) Well, that is shocking. Which is actually a good thing now that I say it. Probably so. Yeah. But it's cool that they're doing it. Look, I know people are going to complain about what's not there and what's not complete, but we should praise them for what they have done. Oh, you know, yes. It's a huge step. It is a huge the, step. The functionality that they already have is great, and it'll, mm-hmm. it'll only get better. Yeah, so we'll see how it, how it goes. So we'd suggest downloading the National Park Service app if you are obsessed with national parks and play around with it and see what you think. Okay, today we're talking about Denali National Park. It was the 13th national park we visited way back when we did our two-year journey to all the parks. And it was also the first time we did an organized tour. That's right. Now, Denali is unique in that you're not allowed to drive your own vehicle back into the park. And when we first started doing the planning for our trip to Denali, we found out that if you want to go more than 15 miles on the park road, you have to do so as part of a bus tour. And we weren't thrilled about that initially. Well, especially you. Right. You weren't thrilled about it. <laughs> now, which part did you think you wouldn't like? Sitting on a bus all day or sitting on a bus all day with a bunch of random strangers? Yes. <laughs> all the above. I, I, think, I think both of those. Uh, but, but, you know, as we found out, the park has a really good reason for only allowing buses. And I, mm-hmm. and I have to say, you know, there's a lot to be said for Letting somebody else do the driving, mm-hmm. especially so I don't have to worry about driving off of a cliff while I'm looking for bears. <laughs> so, yeah, it was fun to just sit back and enjoy the ride. Okay, so let's talk about Denali National Park. Where is it and how big is it? Important details. It's in Alaska. It's north of Anchorage and south of Fairbanks. It's kind of in the middle. So if you look at the state, it's in the middle and it's a little to the south. And not until the 1970s was there a paved road to that area. So thank goodness now because it's a huge park. It's six million acres. And of course, its main feature is it's home to the tallest mountain in North America, mm-hmm. Denali, which is over 20,000 feet, 20,310 feet, originally named Mount McKinley. 
a lot of people, I think, still know it as Mount McKinley. So this, Matt, is your favorite part of the podcast where I give the little history talk. <laughs> okay, good. Let me just so sit, sit back in my chair. Do you need a cup chair. of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> to stay awake? Yes. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> no, I just thought I would explain because this is interesting. Back in the late 1800s, the first white explorers in the area started calling the mountain Denali. They started calling it Mount McKinley. Okay, so fast forward now to 1917 when they were getting ready to make that area a national park. The native Alaskan people had been calling the mountain Denali for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it means the high one. So there was a big debate about what to name the park. A lot of Alaskans wanted to name the park Denali National Park, but other people wanted to name it Mount McKinley National Park after William McKinley, who was president from 1897 until his assassination in 1901. Anyway, Mount McKinley National Park won out, and that is what the park was called, and they also officially named the mountain Mount McKinley in 1917. Okay, so fast forward to 1980, and when President Jimmy Carter signed into law the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, McKinley National Park was incorporated into a much larger protected area, and it was renamed, finally, Denali National Park and Preserve. But while they changed the name of the park, they kept the name Mount McKinley for the mountain, which was very confusing. But again, there was still a big debate raging, and they thought that that was the compromise. Now, fast forward to 2015, and former... (laughs) Stop. (laughs) I'm almost done. In 2015, former President... Barack Obama announced that he was officially renaming the mountain from Mount McKinley to Denali. So it only took 100 years, but finally, both the park and the mountain are now called Denali. End of the history lesson. So do we get do we get royalties from the History <laughs> Channel for, for all of the history? That you... Not when you're snoring through oh, it. I'm oh, sorry. Was, was I sno- did I snore? well let's bring it up to current day okay one of the things that we well 10 years ago when we were there one of the things we learned and and if you have any intention of going to visit this park something you should know even though denali is the main feature it's cloudy in alaska many many days and as a matter of fact they've, they've actually measured this and Denali is only viewable 30% of the days of the year. So if you're intent on going up there, you have one day to go to the park and you're going to see that mountain, you have a 30% chance of seeing. And in fact, they named it for all the lucky people who did get to see the mountain when they were there. They named it the 30% Club. I kind of thought maybe at first it should be the Mile High Club, but that's a a different thing. You're going to lose your History Channel contract if you you keep along that. So Denali is actually one of the easiest parks in Alaska to get to. Out of the eight national parks, there are only three that you can drive to. And to get to Denali, the easiest way is to fly into Anchorage and then just drive. It's about a four-hour drive north. It's actually a little less driving if you fly into Fairbanks. But I think there are typically more uh, more flights into Anchorage for most people. And the road, it's a good road. The roads mm-hmm. pay from both mm-hmm. Anchorage and Fairbanks to the park. The first time we went was in August. We actually tacked this on to another park that we visited in Alaska. We first went to Glacier Bay in mid-August. We have to do an episode on that. Oh, definitely. Because that's, that's a great park mm-hmm. to visit. But we flew in the little town of Gustavus there by Glacier Bay, visited that park, and then flew from uh, Gustavus to Anchorage. Yeah, so we flew into Anchorage. We rented a car. First, we drove to Wrangell St. Elias, uh, visited that park. Then we drove to Denali, saw Denali, and then we drove to Kenai Fjords. So on that particular trip, we saw four out of the eight Alaska parks. That's a good little loop. (laughs) It was Uh, great. I mean, you wouldn't have to put Glacier Bay Mm -hmm. in that. You could fly to Anchorage, go over to Wrangell St. Elias, 
then over to Denali, then to Kenai Fjords. That's a great three-park swing. And you see a lot of Alaska. We happen to take the road from Wrangell-St. Elias up north to Fairbanks and then down south to Denali. And that was a beautiful drive. It was absolutely gorgeous. There were glaciers everywhere. I mean, the whole the whole drive looked like it could be a national park. It was really spectacular. But I have to mention, when we first got to Anchorage, and we, we spent the night in Anchorage, and we rented a car, and I remember we went to the Fred Meyer to stock up on groceries and beer and stuff like that. You almost hit a moose in the road. There are a lot of moose up there. Yes. Right. This was in like the Fred Meyer parking lot. Right. We read that in the summer, there are several hundred moose that hang out in Anchorage. And in the winter, the number grows to a thousand or more. Well, what happens also in, in the Anchorage area, the moose are hanging around in the wintertime. And the old and sickly moose, sometimes they die in the winter. I mean, that's that's what gets them. So if they happen to die in your front yard, first of all, sometimes when there's a snowstorm and it's snowing and you wake up in the morning and you see two feet of snow in your front yard, you don't realize that there's a moose under there, uh, underneath there until March. So that's that's an issue that homeowners deal with. But also somebody had a dead moose in their yard and they called the state of Alaska and said, like, what are you going to do about this dead moose in my yard? And they said, well, here's the deal. A live moose is the property of the state of Alaska, but a dead moose in your yard is your property. <laughs> and your problem. <laughs> and your, and your problem. We read there's a company that actually will come and, for a fee, of course, dispose of the of any dead moose or other animals. Moose removal? In your yard. That's right. There were a lot of surprises at Denali, for me anyway. Uh, one surprise was when we got there and we checked into the lodge we stayed in. It was at the park entrance and there were, gosh, probably at least a half a dozen lodges there. And it had a very Disney World feel to it, didn't you think? It was pretty commercial mm -hmm. uh, uh, on that area outside the park. It had a very manufactured wilderness feel. Well, they do have a lot of tourists come up there that are part of Alaska cruises. Mm -hmm. So the cruise will dock and then they bus them. So the cruise folks will be going on a tour and one, one of the tour stops is Denali. So, you know, they, they have to have a tourist infrastructure. And they do. And they you have do. To, you know, you have to have a place for people to buy shot glasses with, <laughs> Denali, with a picture of Denali on it. That's right. But there were all kinds of bars and restaurants and gift stores and there might have been fudge. I'm fudge. not sure. Of course but, there was uh, fudge. I don't know. Denali, I was expecting a true wilderness feel and I was a little surprised. Now, the hotel was lovely and yeah. the whole area was beautiful. It just seemed yeah. a little like... Like we were at Disney World. Well, yeah, and we loaded up with gifts as much as the next person. <laughs> sure. So we're not, we're not <laughs> yeah. complaining. We're just describing mm -hmm. what we saw. So let's talk about the main attraction in Denali, which is the Denali Park Road. It's a 92-mile road that goes all the way back to kind of the, the far reaches of the park. So you can really get into the heart of it. But it's only open to cars for the first 15 miles. That's right. So if you want to get back into the park... As we said at the beginning, you have to take a bus. Right. Now, this road, they started building it back in 1923, blasting rock, and, and then they finally finished it in 1938. So here's an interesting thing, and I've seen online people ask this question a lot. Why is it only paved 15 miles into the park? And so the, the, yeah, the road was built a long, long time ago. They had it all graded. It was a gravel road. And at some point in the park's development, they decided to start paving the road. And locals were so incensed by this. They thought this was a really bad idea that they quickly petitioned and actually got a law passed that said that could no longer have a paved road in Denali. And so they were they were at the 15-mile marker of paved road. So they just put a gate there and and called it quits. So the rest of it is gravel. And it's a nice gravel road. I mean, it's it's level and they take care of it. But that's why it's only paved 15 miles. And then they left. They didn't take that pavement out. And you can drive that 15 miles, anyone in any passenger vehicle. But, but you're going to have to buy some bus tickets if you want to go further. Now, the bus only runs in the summer season, which is typically May 20th until the second or third week in September. And I read this random number. I don't know how they decided on this, but in 1986, park managers set an annual limit of 
10,512 vehicle trips on this road. And that includes every single vehicle, whether it's a shuttle bus, a ranger's truck, a camper bus. That's it. 10,512. Well, I think they do a lot of studying of the impact of that road and impact of vehicles on that road into the park. They are pretty in tuned to the impact and they, they do a good job. I mean, I'd, I would rather, and this is kind of a statement for all the national parks, I would rather that the access be limited and controlled and the, and the area cared for than just letting everyone go back there. And I know it causes hardship for some people. If you don't, if you can't get tickets on the bus, then then Mm -hmm. you can't go back there. But generally we have found pretty much anything we want to do in a national park. You just plan ahead far enough and and you can get, you can get a reservation. Now ticket prices, I believe start at around $50 and they go up from there. That's per person. And that depends on how far you want to go on the bus because there are some different stops. Also, on top of that would be the park entrance fee. Tickets usually go on sale in December for the following summer. So it's really important if you're planning a trip to Denali and you want to go on the bus, you need to get your tickets early. There are two different types of buses you can book, right? Yes. You have two choices as far as the type of bus. There is the non-narrated transit bus, which is green. And if you take this bus, you can stop anytime you want and you can get on and off to hike and then get back on another bus. Then the other option is the narrated tour bus, which is tan colored. And this features a trained naturalist driver and you cannot get on and off to hike. You're on that bus the whole day. Uh, The narrated tour bus, the tickets are more expensive. So you've got those two options. And I think our bus driver even said this, that going out, regardless of what bus you're on, as the buses are coming back, you know, coming out of the park on, on their way out, I think all those buses will pick up anyone who's on the road, puts their thumb out. They're all sweeping, right? And they don't don't want people stuck back there. Yes, the tan bus will not pick people up, just to be clear. That's why they're two different colors. In case we're confusing you, if you're on the green bus, you can ask the bus driver to stop. You can get off. You can hike for a couple of hours. And then you can pick up another green bus to go further into the park or to go back to the visitor center. They keep a couple of seats empty on every green bus so they can pick up hitchhikers, as we'll say, along the side of the road. The tan buses, that is a specific group who paid that money for that tour, and they do not pick up hikers. So just to be clear on that. So if you're camping, how do you get back there? So if you're camping, thank you for asking, Matt. You're welcome. The camping back there requires a reservation or a permit. And when you get either of those things, you sign up for the special camper bus, which has room for your camping gear and so on and so forth. And that will take you back to your campsite or your backcountry drop-off site. But we were on the green bus and Mm -hmm. it's the Uh non-narrated. But the bus driver never stopped talking. I know. (laughs) So that's, that's the secret. Is oh, is that, that a secret? <laughs> how, how do you get, how do you actually get a non-narrated bus? I guess that's called earplugs. Yes. I believe most of those transit drivers, you know, they're passionate about the park. They do this every day. They know about the park. They know about the wildlife and they want to share that with others. So even though it says non-narrated Our driver, who was John, talked up a storm about everything. So we had a non-narrated, narrated tour. (laughs) We did. Really briefly, we'll touch on the different stops. When you buy your tickets, you have to choose a turnaround point. So the first one you can choose is Toklat River, which is at mile 53. That is the shortest bus trip you can do. Now, even though it's the shortest, and this is interesting, it's a six and a half hour round trip journey. And Matt, why does it take so long? Well, Karen, <laughs> there's a couple of reasons. First of all, <laughs> uh, there's some bathroom breaks. Yes. Okay. So you, you got that. Uh, but also they pretty much stop at any wildlife sighting. I would say any mammal that weighs more than two pounds, (laughs) they'll stop the bus and let everyone see. And so there's there's quite a few of those. And and our bus driver, he was a nice guy. I don't know. He's maybe 75 driving the bus back there, having a great time, uh, doing a lot of non-narration narration. 
And he told everybody in the bus, he said, you know, I, I'll stop anytime you want if you see something of interest, mainly wildlife. All you have to do is yell stop and I'll stop, you know, wherever. And he goes, you, you know, I'm kind of hard of hearing, so you have to yell pretty loud. Well, that was great, although people were yelling stop a lot. So <laughs> there, there was a lot of yelling on the bus, which is something I I like a lot also when I'm in a crowded, confined area with other people if they yell. Um, But also, there are a few areas along the road where it's a pretty steep drop-off. I was sitting on the outside seat looking over, and there were times where I couldn't see the road. You know, all all I could see was the drop-off, and so I was hoping that our bus driver knew exactly where the wheels of his bus are, but I was also a little concerned that people would yell, stop, <laughs> while we're on the edge of a cliff. So I know. Uh, just don't yell at the bus driver when, when we're on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And there were a lot of people yelling, stop, and then he'd slam on the brakes and, oh, never mind, false alarm, or a squirrel would run across the road or something. <laughs> but we'll get into the wildlife in a few minutes. I wanted to mention these other stops. So there's the Eielson Visitor Center, which is at mile 66, and that's an eight-hour round-trip journey. That's the one we did. And the reason we chose Eielson Visitor Center is because we, we knew there were a few hiking trails there, and we wanted to have a chance to do a hike. And if you add that on to an eight-hour bus trip, we figured that would be a pretty full day. Another great thing about Eielson Visitor Center is there are some incredible views of Denali, the mountain. There are when there's no clouds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, even past Eielson Visitor Center is Wonder Lake, which is at mile 85, and that's an 11-hour round trip. That's a long time on that, a bus. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a long time. You know, we keep saying it's a long time, but it's a pretty cool ride. Definitely. And, and, and you're stopping and you're seeing incredible wildlife, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a beautiful park. So just to know, you you might think, okay, 85 miles – how long could that be? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we'll go 45 miles an hour. So that's four, four hours. No, they're driving 10, 15 miles an hour and stopping a lot. That's right. And the very last stop is Kantishna, which is the end of the road at mile 92. There's a former gold mining town there, the remains of the town. And there are a couple of backcountry lodges back there. And Kantishna is a 12-hour round-trip bus ride. If you book a bus tour, they leave from the visitor center, the the one that's right inside the park boundary off the main highway. You want to be there on time for your bus tour. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you want to be there early because people start lining up. Yeah, you want to be. Well, yeah, like anything. I mean, be there 10, 15 minutes early Mm -hmm. because they're going to leave on time. We saw several visitors as we're in line for these buses. And And remember, there's limited number of tickets for each bus. They're sold out. And more than once, we saw people come out of the gift shop looking for their bus 10 minutes after their bus time. So remember that couple comes out (laughs) and and the older gentleman uh, is looking for the bus. And he's a little incensed. He's talking to the, the park rangers like, where's our bus? And the park ranger asked, well, sir, what, what time's your bus leaving? And he said, well, our bus is 8 o'clock. We have tickets for the 8 o'clock bus. And the ranger said, well, it's like 10 after 8. <laughs> and the guy, the guy's calling for his wife, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy, where's our tickets? And it, this went on for a while. Mm-hmm. It, it took him a while to understand that the bus is left. Nancy came out with her shopping bags full of yeah. stuffed animals, puppets. And right, right. She had a, a puzzle, <laughs> some finger puppets. And uh-huh. yeah, they mm-hmm. continued that conversation for quite a while. It, it took, a, took the ranger a while to explain to them that the bus is gone. Unfortunately, Nancy and her husband spent the rest of the day in the gift store. But they also <laughs> didn't look like they were prepared for a multi-hour bus ride. True. That's so true. Just know that once you get on that bus, you're not coming back until the bus comes back. And they do tell you, encourage you to bring all your own food and water and some warm clothing, extra warm clothing, and 
our advice would also be to bring some rain gear because yeah, you, you never know to, when it's going to start raining. You need to be pretty self-sufficient. <laughs> mm-hmm. So our bus was at 830. We took off with great excitement and it looked different than I thought. It's very tundra-like looking out there, isn't it? Yeah. And the first 15 miles our bus driver pointed out to us, you're in the trees for a, a good part of that. And he mentioned, he goes, well, this is the drunken forest. <laughs> Uh, which we didn't really understand what he what he was talking about until he pointed out that a lot of the trees, even the the tall trees there, were all at an angle. So he, ex- he explained to us that with the freeze and thaw year after year, it heaves these trees and they're kind of all leaning matchsticks, and so they call it the, the drunken forest. But but I like that name. <laughs> you get you get past that mm-hmm. when you get to the fifteen mile mark, and for a lot of the way past the fifteen mile mark. You're not in the trees much. It's, no, it's open. There's it's a, very you, open. And you can see for a long, long while. Which is kind of nice because it's much easier to spot the wildlife um, at that point. Our first stop was at the 53-mile mark at, at Toklat River. And John told us all, everybody get off the bus. There's bathrooms here. You can walk around a little bit. I think we had like, what, maybe a 20-minute break. That was our first stop. Yeah, John the bus driver. Mm-hmm, John the bus driver. But um, we saw some wildlife. And by the way, we should mention binoculars are a great thing to have. They really are. That's a good tip in any national park. Definitely take binoculars because you have very long vistas Mm -hmm. in Denali. And so that you can have teeny brown spot on the side of a mountain, which is a grizzly bear. So it's good to have a set of binoculars with you. Now, the wildlife that most people are looking for in Denali are bears, grizzly bears and black bears, uh, wolves, moose, caribou, and doll sheep. Now, we saw several sets of mama bears and their cubs. Right. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it's it's cool to, to watch them. And mm-hmm. so this was August. You know, for most people in the lower 48, August is the middle of summer. It's not the middle of the summer up there. It is oh, f- full-on mm-hmm. fall, probably freezing at night uh, a lot of times. So these bears were, were looking for as many berries as they could because winter was coming quickly. That's right. The other wildlife sighting that we saw, and I think that was my favorite, was remember when we saw the baby wolf in we the did. road? A, a pop. We saw a pop. It's huge pop. Uh-huh. And we didn't see the, the rest of the pack. We didn't. But the baby wolf looked very well fed and very healthy. Oh, he was doing so fine. So I'm assuming his mama was close by. Oh, yeah. No, he, he was doing fine. So we stop and, and look at him. He's standing in the middle of the road. And then he starts trotting down the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. So we couldn't go anywhere. Where we John could drive the bus a little bit further, but for a long way, he just was leading us down the road. So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool. It's funny because every time the bus stops for a wildlife sighting, all the people on the bus jump up and press their faces and their cameras against the windows. You could almost feel the bus leaning toward whatever side the wildlife was spotted <laughs> on. So when we got to the Eielson Visitor Center, unfortunately, the mountain was not out. It, it was a beautiful day. There were some blue skies, but there were clouds right where right where Denali is or should have been. Uh, but remember in the Visitor Center, they had that silhouette painted on the window. <laughs> so you, you wouldn't be disappointed. You could be in the Visitor Center and look out the window and imagine the mountain being there. So if you stand right in this one spot and look at the silhouette painted onto the window, that's that's where the mountain would be. So we imagined that the mountain was there. That's right. The Visitor Center is very cool. They remodeled it in 2008, so just a few years before we were there. And they they built it so that half of it is buried in the ground. It has a very low profile. And then they planted native grasses and plants on the roof. It almost looks like it's just part of the hillside there. They did a really great job. They used natural materials. They have solar panels. They've committed to using new technologies, and they've installed systems to reduce their energy needs and have a low environmental impact. Yeah, I think they did a, a really good job mm-hmm. with, with that. So, yeah, we were we uh, hung around there for a little while. Uh, we also, like you said, we wanted to do a hike. Our bus driver said, look, if – if you want to go for a hike and you don't make it back uh, in time when I have to leave, you can get on another bus. So we we went for a hike back up behind the, the visitor center. It turned out to be a 1,000-foot elevation gain, but 
But we asked the rangers before we left, should we be worried about bears mm-hmm. up there? It was surprising because we had since we had just come from Glacier Bay National Park, the rangers at Glacier Bay are extremely worried about the brown bears there all the time. They close the trails. There are warnings everywhere. And this ranger at Denali was very relaxed about it. And she said... Oh, you know, the the bears are busy eating berries. They're distracted. If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. <laughs> very yeah, very casual mm-hmm. attitude. But she lives there, she works there, she knows. So uh we weren't too concerned. And one thing we did find out too is that these brown bears or grizzlies who live in the interior of Alaska and who eat plants, they don't grow as big as the coastal brown bears who eat salmon. So I think what you did you write in Dear Bob and Sue's Yeah, so they all it takes them like ten <laughs> seconds to kill you instead of seven seconds. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It, it's they're big. Yeah, they're still big. <laughs> yeah. It's Instead of being the size of, of <laughs> instead of the bear being the size of a suburban, it's more like the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> That's right. Um, the other thing the ranger told us that was interesting because every park is so different. She said we could wander wherever we wanted in the park. You don't have to stick to a trail. She said just go out and start walking. So that's what we did. Now the trail that you mentioned that we took up, it used to be called the Isleson Alpine Trail. For some reason, they changed the name. It's now called the Thoroughfare Ridge Trail, but it's only about a mile up to the top of this ridgeline and as you mentioned a thousand feet of elevation gain we were huffing and a puffing at the top and we'll put a video of this on our website with some of the photos of this episode we did a 360 video from from up there yeah it was beautiful and even though we couldn't see denali we could see other mountains because the clouds were sort of varied that day. So we did have a view of some other beautiful snow-capped mountains, even though we didn't get to see Denali. And so when we were done hiking and got back to the parking lot, our original bus had already left. And so <laughs> we looked for another bus to climb on, and there was one sitting there. But then we found out that it, it was a broken-down bus. <laughs> it had broken down. And so they, they kind of scrambled around and – did a great job of making a list of all the passengers on all the buses that were still outstanding. And, and uh, they did a good job of accommodating everyone on on the next bus. Yeah, I think we had to wait for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes. But we were in a beautiful setting and we wandered around the visitor center. So it wasn't a big deal when we got back on another bus. But before we uh, leave our discussion about Isleson Visitor Center... Uh, one thing I want to mention, do, do you remember the moose antler display that they had at the visitor center? There? The skulls? So they were there were two interlocked moose antlers with the skulls. And, and when you look at them, you quickly realize like what happened here. And they, they had found these in the park somewhere and brought them to the visitor center. Two huge bull moose were fighting, apparently. And they locked horns, and they couldn't unlock the horns, and they eventually just dropped and died where they were fighting. And so they died with their horns interlocked, which uh, was very dramatic. And it points out that you know it, it's a pretty brutal place for the, the wildlife in, in the wilderness. And so now they have those skulls on display there in the visitor center. That was pretty wild to see. Yeah. When we were finally able to board a green bus and we were heading back out of the park, our big wildlife sighting was a, a pack, pack, a, a pack. flock. So I don't know what you call them. Flock. <laughs> well, they're sheep, is it? Yeah, <laughs> they were doll sheep. <laughs> they weren't. Yeah, I don't know what you would call them. I'm a, not a, sure either. A group. A herd. A, a herd. herd of a dolls bunch of them uh, in the road. And they're right in the middle of the mm-hmm. road, which is great because when they're in the middle of the road, the bus can't go until the sheep move on. And so we had a really great sighting and oh, we did. I think hung we out there for a while. Yeah, at least 15, 20 minutes. And the sheep wandered around the bus. So that was fun to see them so close. So that was pretty much our trip the first time. Uh, the next day, we headed to Kenai Fjords. But then a year later, we went back to Denali for another visit. Right. We had planned on going to Katmai National Park and Lake Clark National Park, uh, which are in the south 
west part of the state. And we figured, well, as long as we have to go to Anchorage, you know, to go to those parks, let's just go back to Denali. And so we booked uh, we booked a couple of nights at that Denali Backcountry Lodge back in Kentishna. And so we got to drive the entire park road, which was very cool. Well, we didn't get to drive it. So how that works was there is... Denali Backcountry Lodge has a little office right outside the park. So we went there first and we left our car there. Then they took us on their private bus back the 92 miles to the lodge. So that was very cool to see the entire park road. So you get like a bonus ride through the park. That's right. We had um, a cabin to ourselves, which was really nice. I thought the Backcountry Lodge was pricey. Uh, However... That does include the transportation, which if you figure each of our tickets on the other tour was $50, so there you're $100. So you add that in, and the Backcountry Lodge, it included all of our meals. So that helped. <laughs> well, look, it's got to be expensive to maintain a lodge in the Backcountry, and there's you can only it only accommodates so many guests. So yeah, some of these things can be pricey. One of the things I remembered about it was it was 4th of July. That's right. <laughs> and up there, July 4th, uh, it, it was light out. I don't know that it ever got dark. I remember we got there, we had dinner, we walked around, and it was almost midnight. And for a moment, I thought, well, okay, so what are we going to do now? Do you want to go for a hike? Do you want to look around? And then we realized <laughs> it's midnight. And we could have gone for a hike. We could have gone for a three-hour hike mm-hmm. without headlamps able to see everything, but uh, finally realized, no, it's it's time to go to bed. It never got fully dark ever. Right. So that was kind of fun to see. The other difference between going in August and going early in July would be the bugs. Let's talk about the, the, the bugs are The <laughs> bugs are pretty thick in July. The, the reason they weren't so much in August, again, it, you know, people in the lower 48 are thinking, well, you know, bugs are pretty thick in August in the lower 48. Well, in, in August, it freezes and, and kills off a lot of the mosquitoes, but mm-hmm. not July, not, not July 4th. They are aggressive. Oh, my gosh. We had one full day there in the backcountry, and we decided to go for a hike. Now, the lodge does offer some guided hikes, but we found a trail, and we decided to set off on our own. And I remember it was a rainy day. We had all of our rain gear on. But once the rain stopped and the sun came out, so did the mosquitoes (laughs) and the black flies. They were out. And so I quickly put on my head net. (laughs) which I always carry with me. (laughs) I remember in preparation for this trip, we go to REI to get gear. And I pointed out to you that you probably need a head net because we're going to Alaska. The skeeters are going to be thick. And what would you say? Well, here's the thing, Matt. You were wearing a head net in the store. You were walking around with it on. And I I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you looked ridiculous. (laughs) And so I said, I wouldn't be caught dead in one of those things. Well, sometimes I do that stuff because it gets a reaction. Because you want to embarrass me that I'm with you. Right. So there's that. Right. Right. So I said, don't. Don't even buy me one. I can tell you 100% I will never, ever wear it. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm not even sure you knew, but I, I bought you one anyway. Uh, a side note, if you're ever going to use a head net, you really need a brim on your hat. Because if you put a head net over your head without a hat, it's just going to lie against your skin. And the skeeters, they, they can get to your skin right through the net. So you have to have... A brim. I used to wear a baseball cap and it keeps it off my face. And so at the point where where it got really bad and you whipped out your head net, then I was so happy when you showed me that you had bought me one after all and you, you got it out of your pack and handed it to me. I didn't even care how I looked at that point. I was so happy to have that head net. And I believe we even sprayed DEET. Oh, really this, strong stuff. Yeah, but by this time, this was our second trip to Alaska. We, we knew that we were going to use 100% DEET. The uh, mosquitoes are pretty thick. While we were hiking, I I saw one bite you through your rain jacket. 
Oh, you, I know. you know, you think that, well, the rain jacket's going to protect you and they'll just go right through. They'll find a little spot between the weave of the fabric <laughs> and just go right through. So they're, they're pretty aggressive. A ranger told us that mosquitoes can take a pint of blood a day out of a caribou during mosquito season. So I swear, I think they took at least a pint out of, out of each one of us that and the, day. And there's a story of a, of a ranger falling asleep uh, by Wonder Lake. And I don't know if he was taking a nap or what, but he was asleep for a little while. Mosquitoes bit him so many times on the face that, <sighs> that his eyes closed up. Remember, he had to crawl to the road and, and be rescued. So, I mean, it's it's a real thing. So if you're going in June or July, be sure to bring a head net and some very strong bug spray. Yeah, we survived the mosquitoes. And then the next day we took the bus back out of the park. And, and then we got lucky. Denali was finally out. And, and so now, Karen, we're officially part of the 30% club. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. On the last day of our second visit, we finally got to see the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think now we have covered all the details about how to get into the backcountry of Denali, haven't we? I think so. Now, if you're going to Denali and you don't want to do the bus or you can't get reservations, there are some hiking trails around the park entrance. Or, as we said, you can drive the 15 miles of the park road that's open to cars. And I believe at the 15-mile mark is Savage River and some hiking trails around there. So you can do that as well. We should mention, though, the other, the other possibility is the road lottery. Oh, yeah. We should do that sometime. We should enter the lottery. I, I don't know what they're doing COVID-wise, but once that's over, we should definitely look into the road lottery where you can drive your own car. Mm-hmm. So they let some people drive their own car through the park. That, that would be fun because then... I believe this is correct. You can stop wherever you want? Yes, yes. So the deal is you have an entire day. They do this road lottery every September. It's for four days. And during those days, the winners of the lottery drawing are given a chance to buy a single day-long permit, and they can drive as much of the Denali Park Road as weather allows. Now... They did say that in years with early snow, the park road might only be open to the mile 15 mark. Uh, But in other years, lottery winners have been able to drive all the way to the end of the park road at mile 92. So I'm a little confused. Does the lottery go for four days or is the only four days that you can drive into the park? The lottery is handled by recreation.gov and the lottery in the past years Lottery applications have been open for the month of June. So sometime in June, you get on recreation.gov and you choose, I believe you choose maybe your first and second date of the four days in September that they're doing it. The chances of winning, they say, are about one in seven. So pretty good odds well, compared not, to some other that's things. That's not bad. We've, we've done things that were, our chances are literally <laughs> one in a thousand. I know. So anyway, I would love to do that. Usually the four days are right about the middle of September. So in June, we should look at recreation.gov and see what the deal is this year, if it's changed at all. Yeah. So the best time to go to Denali, Mm -hmm. if if someone were to ask us that question. And there's a little bit of a gamble here because I prefer to go in August after there's a couple of freezes because it knocks the bugs down considerably. Mm -hmm. But you don't don't know when that's going to be. And it can go from summer to winter in a matter of days. So if you get lucky, late August is great because snow hasn't come, bugs are gone. Uh, that that would be our recommendation. I think so, definitely. Now, a lot of people think that Denali is closed in the winter, but it's not. And that would actually be a really fun time to go also. We should put that on the list. Yeah, it would be fun to snowshoe in Denali in the winter. It would. So obviously the buses are not running in the winter, but one of the biggest attractions that people go to see is the National Park Service's Denali Kennel, which is the home to the only working sled dogs in a national park. Now, I read that you can pet the dogs and you can watch a mushing demonstration and see a presentation, but you cannot book a ride with these park dogs. I believe there is another outfitter that will take you on a dog sled ride. Do you know if the road is open to, do they plow the road to mile 15? You know, I think it depends on the snow. Right now, I looked at the website. It's plowed to mile 12. Okay. It's always plowed to mile three because that's where these dog kennels are located. So I think it just depends on the year. 
And the biggest reason I believe people go in the winter, which is why I really want to go, is for the chance to see the northern lights. Which you probably could see at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. I didn't think about in, that. In the winter. So, so yeah, going to be a another, lot of dark days. That, that's another thing. If you're planning on going up, up there and hiking and snowshoeing, you want to do that at noon. <laughs> that's right. That would be a fun trip to go in the winter. Gosh, so many things on our list. So that was our trip to Denali. But, you know, I was remembering when we were on the Green Transit bus, and it was about mid-morning, I heard one of the women go up to our bus driver, John, and she said to him, kind of a cranky voice, she said, could you stop making so many wildlife stops and bathroom stops? She said, I just want to get there. And, you know, it made me think that on this particular type of a tour, there is no there, right? I mean, the bus ride is the thing. It right. is the destination. Yeah. Once you're there, you're there. The whole <laughs> the whole thing is there. That's right. Yeah. So, so that's the part you need to enjoy. You need to enjoy looking out the window and searching for wildlife and seeing the, the beautiful mountains surrounding. And that is, that's the destination right there. Uh, so now that we've done it, Matt, you know, how do you feel about the all-day bus tour thing? <laughs> well, for that park, I, I think it was great. Uh, you know, it, the other people on the bus, they were fun to be with, and it's, it's enjoyable. And you, by the time you spend all day with them, you kind of get a get a sense of we're all together. This is our group. So, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and I think it would be great to be able to drive your own car back there. And so I understand why they only let a few people do that a few days. I, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd do it again. I would too. And then I think it was a great starter tour for us because then as the two years went on, we had other National Park Service tours, which maybe we'll do a whole podcast episode about that. But they were all great and unique in their own way. Yep. I have to say I'm disappointed that I wasn't able to work in the phrase, you threw me under the bus. <laughs> I think you're going to have, I think there's going to be another opportunity <laughs> oh, you for think that. So? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to all of you who keep tuning into our podcast every week. If you've been wondering how to leave a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to our show on another podcast app. We're less than 20 ratings away from our goal of 590. Thank you all so much. It really means a lot to us. If you enjoy the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, we think you'll enjoy our Dear Bob and Sue books as well. There are three of them in the series, and you can buy the paperback, the Kindle version, or the audiobook on Amazon.com. If you have a question for our monthly mailbag episode or a topic suggestion for a future episode, send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobands, or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. For every episode, we create show notes, and those have links at the bottom that will give you more information about what we discussed. There's also a link where you can view our photos from our trips to Denali. Go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com. Click on the Episodes tab in the menu bar and then click on the title for Episode 32. Our show is produced by the always amazing team of folks at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects and our theme music is by Will West. Matt, why is it that every time we record a podcast episode, we end up with a couple more things on our bucket list? Now we're going dog sledding in Alaska? Dog sledding. Well, you're going to have to dress a little bit more warmly for that. I think that's going to be colder than the bus. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> mm-hmm.